Today's scripture comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of and fullness of Christ." so that that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly. Make the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You may be seated. As we get seated, let me pray for us. Our loving Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that you will make your word live to us now. Help us to see wondrous things in your word and would you make your word live to the kids downstairs as well. Be with the teachers and the assistants and the helpers. With our our children, with your children, also see wondrous things in your word this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Sam. I'm one of the team here. I want to add my welcome to Brett's welcome. It's so good to be opening up God's Word with you this morning. Just to say, my kids have been signed up for the Back to School Bash as well. And my wife and I have made reservations for dinner just down the road because it is a good date night. So, I'm always getting lost. Those of you who have known me for a while would know this. My wife Jess over there is smiling to herself. In fact, my my sense of misdirection is something that Jess, my wife, and our boys have come to accept is something um, that is about me. Some of our friends have still not given up hope on me. John Bryars still tries to orientate me whenever I'm asking him for directions. He'll say, okay, Sam, look at the mountains. (laughs) The mountains are always to the north. And you should be able to figure things out from there. And then I'll say, okay, just tell me where to turn. I have no idea. (laughs) I bring this up because this morning, we're going to be talking about being lost. That state of not knowing where you're going and perhaps even sometimes forgetting where you've come from. Specifically, we're going to be talking about being lost with regards to church. Questions like, what is the church? How do I become part of the church? What is the church supposed to do? And I wonder how many of us need to be reminded of of the answers to these questions this morning. And actually, I wonder if there are some of us who are actually asking these very questions 
this morning. Maybe you're asking these questions because you're completely new to church. If that's you, welcome. Maybe you're asking these questions because you've been coming to church for a long time and to be honest, you've forgotten the answers to these questions. Perhaps you've been part of church for a while, you thought you knew the answers to these questions, but then something happened and now you're not so sure anymore. You're questioning everything you thought you knew about what it means to be the church and what the church is supposed to do. Last week, Brett reminded us that as Christians, as the people of God, we are on mission from God. The mission to make the fame and deeds of Christ known throughout the world. And before we resume our series in 1 Corinthians next week, today we're going to go into three truths about the church that are essential to help us carry out the mission of God. Three truths that almost act like a map for all of us who are lost or who will get lost, a map to help us orientate ourselves whenever we get lost with regards to the church. Today we're going to see that the church is called to a worthy life, called to one hope and gifted to build up. Called to a worthy life, called to one hope and gifted to build up. So to our first point, called to a worthy life. Our passage opens with the word, therefore. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Paul uses the word therefore because he wants to link what he's about to write with what he's just written. Before telling his readers what they need to do in verses, in in chapters 4 to 6, he spends chapters 1 to 3 reminding them who they are in Christ. And already we see here a reason that so many of us get lost with regards to church. We get it the wrong way around. We've spent so much time focusing on what we need to do that we've forgotten who we are in Christ and why God calls us to live that way. We spend so much time focusing on the doing that we've forgotten what has already been done for us in Christ. You see, look at what Christ has already done for us. We look back in chapter 1, verse 3, what Paul is pointing back to. He writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in Him, was sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. It's such a long passage, but I couldn't cut it off halfway because I didn't know where to cut it off. In fact, this goes on for three whole chapters. This is such a beautiful passage and there's a lot to take in. So let me try and summarize it for us. 
And before I go on, just so you know, for those of you who are going to attend Women's Bible Study this coming week, Kendra is going to be dissecting this passage this coming week. See, what this passage says is that the moment we have put our faith in Christ, we're united with Him. We are in Christ, which is why the, the word in Christ, the phrase in Christ keeps coming up over and over again. We are in Christ, and this passage reminds us of the incomparable, extravagant, out of this world riches we have in Christ. You see, in Christ, Paul writes, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In Christ, we have redemption the forgiveness of our sins. In Christ, the riches of God have been lavished upon us and we have an, a glorious inheritance. You see, Christ City, before doing anything for Christ, we must see what Christ has already done for us. See, living as a Christian means holding on to who we are in Christ. And, and dwelling on, meditating on, reminding ourselves of the riches and the blessings we are guaranteed because of who we are in Christ. And like I said, too often we get it the wrong way around. We get lost and burnt out and delusioned because of that. Disillusioned because of that. One pastor puts it this way, it is easier to work for God than to love God. You can work for someone you don't even like. As I heard more kingdom workers being burnt out, I realized how many are actually serving for identity rather than out of identity. Sometimes we can be misled into being the employee of the month when in reality, God doesn't play that game. As, Christ, as a Christian, as someone who's been saved by grace through faith, hear this, you are not a worker trying to earn the favor of your boss. You are a child living in response to your adoption, in response to the riches you have with God as your father. The Christian life is the therefore life. You are not trying to get adopted. You have already been adopted as a child of God. You already have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Your, your, all your sins have already been forgiven. You already have an internal inheritance that is sealed, guaranteed with the Holy Spirit. You already have and are all those things. Therefore, 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 walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have already been called. Don't get mixed up. Christ City, how many of us have become mixed up? How many of us need this reminder this morning? How many of us have gotten lost because we've forgotten of who we are in Christ? How many of us have forgotten the, the riches that we already have in Him? How many of us are in danger of being burnt out and disillusioned with church because we've lost sight of why we are doing what we do. Why not spend some time this week reading and praying through Ephesians chapters 1 to 3 to remind yourself of who you already are in Christ by faith? How about spending some time watching the baptism and testimony videos that are on our website from last week? to remind yourself of the first time you had your eyes open to the riches you have in Christ. If it would serve you, come up after the gathering to, to the cross for prayer or reach out during the week to let us know how we can be walking alongside you during this time. 
And even as I say this, I realize that there are some of us here who are new to church and have become and have come here because you are trying to figure out who you are. If that's you, welcome. And can I just suggest that it's no accident that you're here at this moment while we're preaching this very text. Would you consider the promises of the gospel this morning? Talk to the person who brought you Or you can come talk to to Brett or to myself or any of the staff who's wearing a lanyard. So as Christians, as those in Christ, we are called to live a worthy life. What does this have to do with the church? It has everything to do with the church. Chapter 1 verse 5 uses the word adoption. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. You see, as Christians, being adopted by God means we've been adopted into His family, into His household. That's just what the church is. The church isn't a building. The church isn't something you go to. It's a family you're adopted into when you put your faith in Christ. Look at chapter 2, verse 19 of Ephesians. Paul writes, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Last week, when Taisha and Cynthia got baptized, they, they were showing the world that they had put their faith in Christ. But not just that, more than that, they were also showing the world that they were now part of a new family. They'd become our sisters. And we had become their brothers and sisters, blood relatives, blood relatives united by the blood of Christ into a family that will endure forever. Now, because we've been united by God, as the family of God, we are to live out our identity in Christ, living it out in such a way that we maintain the unity we have in Christ because we've all been called to one hope. That's our second point for this morning. Called to one hope. Look at verse one again of chapter four. Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul is clearly trying to make a point here, isn't he? repeating the words unity and one over and over again. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. He's doing it on purpose and his purpose is this. As the family of God, united by him who is one, we are to reflect the unity we have in Christ by maintaining the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And even as I say that, In a culture that really likes unity, we need to be careful about what we are saying here and what we're not saying here. Unity is important, but how we pursue gospel unity is just as important. You see, true gospel unity can only be achieved through the gospel, by holding on to the truths of the gospel, the truths of the one hope we have all been called to. As we said when we were preaching through 1 Corinthians, Paul is not calling for a unity at all costs. He's not saying that we should sacrifice the truth of the gospel for the sake of unity. In fact, later on in verse 14 of chapter 4, Paul describes unity as speaking the truth in love to one another. 
rejecting false and deceitful doctrines, instead of sacrificing the truths of the gospel on the altar of, the un- of unity, true unity can only be forged by the power of the gospel. Let me say that again. Instead of sacrificing the truths of the gospel on the altar of unity, true unity can only be forged by the power of the gospel. By uniting, by uniting around the only person who unites the church, the person of Jesus Christ. Brett's used this quote from A.W. Tozer that is, that is so, so helpful. Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshippers met together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. Christ City, as the family of God, united by God, as we live out the gospel, God gives us specific attitudes that He knows are key for us to maintain this gospel unity we've been saved for as his family. Look at verse 2 again. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There are three attitudes here we need to pay attention to. Three attitudes that God says we all need to maintain unity in God's family. Firstly, humility. Humility. I love how one scholar describes humility. He describes it as the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. The quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. And other scholars describe it this way. Humility means restraining our sense of entitlement to be the focus of other people's care and attention by submitting ourselves to others with respect in order to promote their best interests. To paraphrase C.S. Lewis, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. So the first attitude is humility. Secondly, gentleness. Gentleness is something that God commands for all Christians and so it should never be mistaken for weakness because that's not what it is. Gentleness is something God calls for throughout the Bible. It's a sign of wisdom. James chapter 3, it's the fruit of having God's Spirit working in us, Galatians chapter 5. It's how we are to respond to others who are in sin, Galatians chapter 6. It's how we are to respond to others who disagree with us, even when we are in the right and they are in the wrong, 2 Timothy chapter 2. You see, Richard Kokin describes gentleness this way. Gentleness means dealing with other people with kindness rather than roughness with empathetic compassion rather than demanding force, and with soft encouragement rather than hard bullying. Humility, gentleness, and thirdly, patience. Patience means to be long-suffering, to be slow to anger, to rebuke, to scold others, to be slow to rebuke or to scold others, persisting in doing what is right even when it is difficult, or could I say especially when it is difficult. You see, these three attitudes, humility, gentleness, and patience, all work together to help us bear with one another in love. 
bearing with one another in love, accepting the failures and flaws of each other as we pursue unity in our church family. Jesus himself modeled these attitudes in his life. He was humble and gentle and patient with everyone. In fact, he was mocked for being humble and gentle and patient with everyone. Can I remind us that God is humble and gentle and patient with us? And as His children, He has given us His Spirit to produce these fruits in our lives. Which one of these three is the underdeveloped fruit that that God's Spirit is calling you to work on today? Which one of these is the underused muscle in your Christian life? And I'll be honest, even as I was preparing for this sermon, my heart was convicted of all the times I've not been humble and gentle and patient. And I wonder whether God is speaking to you this morning through His Word. Even as God is nudging you, would you make a note to pray through that this week? Perhaps you could memorize verses 1 to 3 so that you can call to mind these verses every time you're in a situation when you are tempted to not be humble or gentle or patient. When you meet with your community group, would you ask for prayer or even accountability as God works in you to grow you in this area? So we are called to a worthy life as members of God's family. As members of God's family, we are to reflect the unity of the one hope we've been called to. And thirdly, as God's family, we've been gifted to build up. Gifted to build up. Look at verses 7 and then we're going to jump to verse 11. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers. The first thing to note is that this is not an exhaustive list of all the roles that are available to us. And instead of spending time talking about each of these roles, about whether they apply today or or how they might look like today, I want to focus on Paul's bigger point. We don't want to get caught up in the weeds here. Paul's bigger point is that grace has been given to each of us to equip Christians for for ministry and to build up the church. Building up the church is something that God calls all of us to do. We see it again at at the end of verse 16 where we are to build ourselves up in love. To build up the church means this, to tell people about Jesus and helping people become more like Jesus as God makes us more like Jesus as we reflect God's glory to the world. If you want to be super practical, here's a list of ways that the Bible calls us to build up the church that I've adapted from from a ministry called Nine Marks. Building up the church involves making disciples of all nations, physically gathering regularly for corporate worship, meaning turn up on a Sunday. Give to the needs of the church financially, but also in other ways. 
And then there's this whole bunch of one another things we need to do. Bear with one another, serve one another, equip and disciple one another, speak truth to one another, sing to one another, pray for one another, reach out to and welcome one another. And on this last point on reaching out and welcoming one another, Kendra, our Director of Discipleship, has written a fantastic article on our website on this topic of welcoming one another and showing hospitality to one another that every one of us should read. And I want us to notice something here. These 10 things are 10 things that are not optional. You don't choose what you do as a Christian. These are 10 things that God calls every Christian to do. In fact, this list doesn't list everything that as Christians we need to do, but it's a good starting point. It's a good starting point with many of the basic things God calls us to do. In fact, that God says He has saved us so that we can do and be. And I'd like to encourage all of us here to take time to read and pray through this list or, some, or a list like this as part of our discipline of asking God what He would have you do to build up the church this season. Because God's call to build up the church is for every Christian. No one is exempt. God has given tasks for every single one of us to do to build up His church. You see, the purpose of the church is not our convenience or consumption or comfort. It's to be on mission, to live out our identity as the people of God by carrying out the mission of God. And God has tasks for every single one of us to do. The question is not if, but what. What has God called you to do? And even as I say that, so many of you have stepped up to serve in official and unofficial ways. So I want to be clear here. The takeaway here is not that everybody needs to do more, okay? Don't worry, we're not saying that. But the point here is that we all need to ask God what He wants us to do. Do you see the difference? For some of us sitting here, that might mean doing more. But for some of us, that might actually mean doing less or doing differently. See, the point is that God is something for all of us to do to build up His church, regardless of our situation at work or at home or at school or even at church, even if you're in the midst of still figuring out which local church you're going to be a part of. The point is that God knows your situation and He has tasks for you to do, tasks that He's tailored specifically to your situation so that you too can participate in building up the church, even in your current season. You see, and as we serve, this passage serves as a map for us. When we get lost, when we lose sight of the big picture, this passage reminds us of the destination we are all striving towards, the goal of building up the church. In whatever way you serve or will be serving, take joy and real purpose in the fact that you are part of something much bigger than yourself. Rehearsing, preparing, cleaning, leading, facilitating, participating, welcoming, teaching, sharing, caring, discipling, hosting, praying, you are building up God's church and it is a sacred mission. You see, we, we don't serve 
just out of a sense of duty, although there is some sense of duty, we serve out of a sense of joy. The joy that we have as we live into the tasks that God has prepared for us and living into the gratefulness that we have as we respond to who we are already in Christ. So even as we think about what God would have us do, remember, start with what already has been done. Even as you think about what God calls us to do, remember who you are in Christ and why you are doing what you do and even how you're doing it. You're not doing it alone. You're doing it in community, empowered by God's own spirit. So let's finish up our passage, starting again from verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself, itself up in love. As we end, I just want to make two final observations from this passage. Firstly, God's mission for the church, the mission of building up the body of Christ, is going to take the rest of our lives. Or until Jesus comes again, whichever is earlier. Secondly, it is Christ who holds everything together. You see, if you've never been lost before, let me tell you this, we will all get lost at some point. And when we do get lost, when we've forgotten who we are, when we've lost track of where we've come from, and when we, we don't know where we're going, look to Christ. You see, when you are lost, look at Christ because Christ will orientate your life the right way. Christ is the one who came to seek and save the lost. And in Christ, we've been called to a worthy life. And by His Spirit, we've been gifted. Yes, each one of you has been specially gifted to build up God's family, the body of Christ, to work out His mission for us until He comes again. Let's stand as we respond to God's Word. 